Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Welcome to the Investing Insights Podcast from Morningstar. In this week's podcast, Ben Johnson suggests coping strategies for market turbulence. Ian Tam encourages investors to avoid adjusting their portfolios in anticipation of the election outcome. We highlight three highly rated Morningstar medalist funds. Russ Kinnell explains fund upgrades and downgrades. And we share what we think Tesla is worth. So let's get started. Christine Benz from Morningstar Inc. and Ben Johnson from Morningstar Research Services share some advice for market volatility. Hi, I'm Christine Benz for Morningstar. Market volatility has picked up in recent days, and it might be tempting to peek at your portfolio or even make some changes. Joining me to share some thoughts about how to approach market volatility is Ben Johnson. He's Morningstar's Global Director of ETF Research. Ben, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Christine. So, Ben, let's talk about what investors should do in these periods of market turbulence. We certainly had one at the beginning of of 2020. How should investors deal with that and cope with that psychologically? Well, I think what investors would be best served to do is to sit down and just jot down a short list of those things that they can actually control when it comes to their investment outcomes. And anything having to do with what's going on in the world and what's going on in the markets lie well far outside of their sphere of of control. They even have no influence. There's nothing that we can do really to change what's going on in the world in the immediate term and what that means for the markets and the impact ultimately on our portfolios. So what can we control? I, I think first and foremost among those items is our own behavior. And I personally think that one of the best things that you can do during volatile market moments is just try to tune out, to take a deep breath, step away from your television, your computer, put down the newspaper and go for a walk around the block. Get outside and realize that everything around you is there after a long period of, of, of growth, right? You look at the trees in your parkway. They didn't get to be 50 feet tall you know, over five short months, which is as it should so happen, the period that if you were an investor in the Vanguard balanced fund was how long it went from mid-February to a 20% drawdown subsequently back to break even by the point in mid-July. So you didn't even have to take a Rip Van Winkle-like nap earlier this year during all the chaos that we were living through to, to wake up and find that the impact on your portfolio had been effectively nothing. So I, I think that case in point proves uh, you know, my point, which is it's important to just tune out, to understand that the market is going to experience volatility. But over the long term, as long as the world continues to be a better place, continues to progress, economies continue to grow and earnings grow as a result, that your portfolio will grow in tandem. There's going to be volatility, but that's part and parcel. That's the, the price of admission, uh, the price you pay for, for long-term growth in, in your investment portfolio. Say I'm someone who's really determined to do something, though, if the market volatility is making me really uncomfortable and I just can't resist the urge to do some tinkering. Are there any less bad things to do at this time? Well, there are less bad things you can do. Absolutely. You can focus on some of the the finer things like expenses, right? What are the fees that you're paying for the funds that you own in your portfolio? What are the expenses you're paying for advice if, if you're engaging the services of an advisor? 
how tax efficient uh, is is your portfolio? Are there areas where uh, either by virtue of tax location or, or investing in different types of asset classes, um, by investing in different types of funds, uh, you know, ETFs over mutual funds, uh, the former tending to be more tax efficient. You know, how how can I save more for myself to compound between now and the long term, and give less to Uncle Sam in the interim? So those are areas I, I think where investors can pay some attention. They can also use these moments to revisit their asset allocation, their mix between stocks, bonds, and, and other things, and whether or not that's really appropriate given where they're at, um, you know, in, in their sort of life cycle as an investor, given their appetite for risk, which is always evolving, is always in flux. And the more you're looking at the markets on a day in and day out basis, uh, probably the less good of an idea you have around your appetite for risk, your ability to, to take risk. So I, I think it also points back to the importance of, of just sort of tuning out um, because you're, your sort of risk meter is is going to fluctuate with you know every headline you read every time you see you know flashing red lights on CNBC um, in in that you know intro that says markets are in turmoil. Markets are always in turmoil. It's just the turmoil that flashes red doesn't feel nearly as good as the turmoil that flashes green uh, and boosts your portfolio's value, which is directionally where things trend over the long term. So it's about tuning out that noise, focusing on the long-term signal, and again, refocusing on those things that you can actually control. Well, following up on the point that we have had a really great recovery since the market trouble in the first quarter of 2020, um, let's talk about people who are getting close to retirement and maybe haven't revisited their portfolio's risk exposures recently. Is it a good time for them to do that? It's absolutely a, a good time to do that, especially because we've seen a pretty dramatic run up in, in equity markets, which in some cases had recently retouched all time high levels. So if near retirees are to revisit their allocations, they might be a little bit long equity risk. Now, you know, we're in an unfortunate set of circumstances right now where the, the alternatives are, are few and far between and generally unattractive, especially if you look at, at fixed income securities. So with yields you know, at or near all-time lows, you know, the 10-year treasury in, in real terms basically being in negative territory, uh, investors are, are probably going to have to hold their nose you know, pretty tight um, to, to feel comfortable reallocating away from equities and in, in towards bonds. You know, now, that said, there are still important benefits to do so, even if the prospective returns uh, look atrocious, candidly. Um, just in, in terms of you know, having that, that ballast in your portfolio, having that, that buffer to absorb more equity risk, and ultimately to be able to rebalance back towards equities at appropriate moments in time. So you know, re, re, revisit those asset allocations, you know, know full well um, that the alternatives, again, don't look great, but you know, reground oneself in, in the benefits of you know, diversification over uh, you know, a longer period of time. That's great advice for volatile times. Thank you so much for being here, Ben. Thanks again for having me, Christine. Thanks for watching. I'm Christine Benz for Morningstar. Six days a week, we deliver the latest news for investors. Just say, Alexa, enable the Morningstar skill or visit Morningstar.com Alexa. 
Now, Ian Tam from Morningstar Canada encourages investors to maintain their portfolios during this uncertain time. With the U.S. presidential election fast approaching, you as an investor might be tempted to tactically adjust your portfolio in anticipation of what might happen in the wake of a Biden or a Trump administration. But is it, does it actually make sense to do this? Let's have a look at what the data says. This chart shows what would happen if you had invested 100,000 US dollars into the S&P 500 total return index on October 31st in each presidential election year since 1972. Each line represents a different presidential term with the president highlighted on the right. You can see that over the medium term or about 48 months, the results vary dramatically. Now, for those analysts among us, your, your initial inclination might be to try to tie the performance of the index to the political party that's in power. Let's have a look again with this in mind. Now, the second chart is the same as the first, but this time showing the political affiliation of each president. A Democratic president is outlined in blue and a Republican president is outlined in red. Again, the results are heavily mixed. So what do we make of this dog's breakfast? Well, really nothing. In a recent column, my colleague and Morningstar veteran John Reckenthaler commented on the idea that presidential elections don't really affect the economy or stock prices as much as we think they do. John looked at the real GDP growth rate from January 2014 to December 2020 in the US, the last three years of President Obama's term and the first three years of President Trump's term. Although the two presidents had radically different policies, the growth rates were similar at 2.4% annualized during the last three years of Obama's term and 2.3% annualized during the first three years of Trump's term. Now, remember that economic conditions don't always reflect stock prices. The most glaring example of this is actually happening right now. Despite bleak economic conditions, the S&P 500 continues to be resilient, showcasing the disconnect between the economy and stock prices. So what can you as an investor do? The simple answer is nothing. Sticking close to your risk tolerance and maintaining discipline in your portfolio will likely afford you better results in the long run over guessing who the next president is going to be in the U.S. For Morningstar, I'm Ian Tam. Watch all the Morningstar content you love from your living room. Download the Morningstar Roku channel and get up-to-date independent insights on today's markets. Be comfortable. Be informed. Next, we shine a light on these highly rated Morningstar medalists. It's already the middle of the fourth quarter of 2020. Today, we're looking at three highly rated funds having great years with returns that currently land near the top of their respective categories. Morgan Stanley Institutional Discovery is a top performer this year among funds in Morningstar's mid-cap growth category. The fund's concentrated, high-growth style lends itself to boom-and-bust returns over short time periods, and 2020 has been quite a boom for the fund, with top holdings like Zoom Video Communications and Shopify posting outsized gains this year. According to Morningstar's Katie Reichardt, the fund's relatively concentrated and sector-agnostic portfolio means investors in this fund need a stomach for volatility. That being said, we like the manager's process that blends companies that dominate their markets with less established industry disruptors. Fidelity Growth Company, which is closed to new investors, is a standout in Morningstar's large growth category this year. Sizable positions in stocks like Apple and Amazon have powered returns. Steve Weimer has managed this portfolio for more than two decades, focusing on companies with resilient business models that can fuel rapid growth over a three to five year period. He's willing to invest heavily in profitless firms, 
he thinks possess extraordinary potential too, and allocates bite-sized portions of the fund's assets across dozens of young small caps, including some privately held firms like SpaceX. Robbie Greengold, who covers the fund for Morningstar, calls the strategy unique, but points out that such high multiple stocks carry high risks of disappointment if their earnings growth expectations don't pan out. Lastly, PGIM Jenison Growth is also from Morningstar's large growth category, and it too is having a banner year. Stakes in market darlings like Tesla have bolstered returns. The managers typically run a somewhat compact 55 to 70 stock portfolio dominated by fast-growing giant caps trading at relatively high price multiples. Management specifically looks for market leaders with durable, above-average top-line growth prospects. They favor businesses with healthy financials, strong research and development capabilities, and defensible franchises. Morningstar's Robbie Greengold says that consistently good stock picking over the long haul has made for an enviable track record at this fund. Now, Russ Kennel from Morningstar Research Services discusses significant fund upgrades and downgrades. Hi, I'm Christine Benz from Morningstar. It's been a year since Morningstar's manager research analysts changed their methodology for rating mutual funds. Joining me to recap the changes and to discuss a couple of notable fund changes is Russ Kennel. He's Morningstar's Director of Manager Research. Russ, thank you so much for being here. Glad to be here, Christine. So, Russ, let's talk about the changes. Um, it's kind of involved, but maybe you can summarize the, the main changes that investors should be aware of with respect to these metalist ratings. That's right. Uh, on uh, November 1st, 2019, we implemented some key changes to our ratings methodology. Uh, we maintained our three pillars of people, uh, process, and parent, uh, but eliminated price and performance. And what we did is meld quantitative and qualitative. So those qualitative pillars are still there. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, we did a couple of quantitative things. Uh, one is we looked at the uh, implied value add uh, for each category. And the way we arrived at that was by looking at many years of return history to see how big are the returns as well as uh, how wide is the uh, variation in returns in that category. And that, combined with the pillars, led us to a pre-fee alpha. Then we subtract each share class's expense ratio to arrive at a rating. So if it's got a implied positive alpha after all of that, it's going to be a metalist. If it's got uh, below that, it's going to be a neutral or negative. Uh, and another change, as I just implied, is this time we look, we are breaking out share classes. So one fund with many share classes can have multiple uh, ratings, whereas before we emphasized the biggest share class to arrive at the rating for all share classes. So to use a simple example in a category like short-term bonds, say, where the range of expected returns is, is really quite small, the, it's harder for funds to be metalists, or it's certainly harder for higher cost funds to be metalists? That's right. It's, it's really harder for both. So, so uh, where you see a lot of the movement in is, is in these lower return uh, categories. Uh, you're, you've seen uh, more downgrades, uh, but you're right, especially if you have high fees. Uh, but of course, we we're already factoring that in before, but I think it's even uh, tougher uh, now. Uh, so, and then even uh, middling to relatively low fees, even those funds are having a little harder time 
maintaining a higher metalist rating. In a recent issue of Morningstar Fund Investor, you looked at uh, the number of funds that had seen downgrades since the change to the methodology. So of our broad coverage universe, it's actually a lot of funds that were downgraded. Can you talk about that, why that was? That's right. When you look at it on a share class basis, you see a very big shift downward. Um, And again, that's because we are freeing up all those share classes. And so uh, let's say an American funds fund that's got maybe 15 or 20 share classes uh, historically would have based that largely on the A share, which is relatively cheap. Uh, But now you've got B and C shares, you've got cheap retirement shares, you've got expensive retirement shares, but all of those more expensive ones are going to be falling down uh, in our ratings uh, grid. So uh, you really had a significant move from the golds and silvers into bronze and neutral, uh, and even from neutral into negative. Universe of funds in fund investor, Morningstar fund investor, the fund investor 500 actually saw fewer downgrades than the broad coverage universe. Why was that? Oh, that's right. Uh, so I use it to illustrate how it really depends on your perspective. So the Morningstar 500 funds, we only have one share class per fund, and the emphasis is on uh, no load, fairly cheap funds, though they have to be available for individual investors. So it's not the cheapest. There are some institutional share classes that are out there, but by and large, these are fairly cheap funds. So the shift in methodology uh, only resulted in a minor tweak in the ratings for these funds. Let's look at some specific examples, starting with a fund that saw a downgrade. It's a fund that we like. It's still a medalist, but T. Rowe Price Summit Municipal Intermediate did take our ratings drop. It dropped down a rung. What uh, were the main causes of that? That's right. Uh, so the, the model uh, sees muni returns are fairly modest and tightly bunched. And as a result, uh, we saw a lot of muni funds get downgraded. So uh, T. Rowe, as you, you mentioned, uh, has uh, uh, positive pillar ratings for, for all three pillars, uh, yet it fund, fell from uh, gold to bronze because uh, its fee is relatively cheap, but not super cheap. And then, of course, there's a return compression uh, going on. So overall, uh, munis were one area where you saw a significant impact. Vanguard Small Cap Growth is a fund that actually uh, jumped up in ratings. I'm guessing costs were part of the story, but walk us through that one. That's right. Costs were part of the story. But the other part is that uh, small cap funds uh, have uh, had pretty good returns, but also widely dispersed returns. So uh, our model is more forgiving there. So uh, both low cost and middling cost funds alike have uh, ascended a bit in our ratings there. And and the Vanguard fund uh, went from silver to gold as probably the cheapest uh, fund in the entire category. Last question for you, Russ, is we have the star rating still. Discuss how investors should use the star rating alongside these medalist ratings. What should they know about the two sets of ratings? Yeah, so uh, the star rating is a purely quantitative measure of past three, five, and 10-year performance that's risk-adjusted. So the star rating is a really quick way to find out how is this fund performed. Uh, The analyst rating is a forward-looking, fundamental-driven, but also has some quantitative elements in it. So. That's much more, here's our analyst's view on the likelihood that this fund will outperform uh, its benchmark. So uh, they're really two fairly different things 
even though uh, they, they are kind of a snapshot view of, of uh, individual fund. Okay, Russ, great re recap. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thanks for watching. I'm Christine Benz for Morningstar. And lastly, this week, we take a closer look at Tesla. Tesla has a chance to be the dominant electric vehicle maker and a leader in autonomous vehicles and a sustainable energy company with energy generation and storage products. That's a lot of ands and a lot of possibility. No wonder Tesla has been a market darling this year. Further, the company has brand cachet, and at Morningstar, we expect Tesla will continue to innovate and remain ahead of both startup and established competitors. Plus, if Tesla can in fact slash battery cell costs as it has suggested, its cost advantage versus its competitors may be hard to beat. The company has moderate competitive advantages, which we call a narrow economic moat. Despite all that, is Tesla worth the hype? Dave Whiston, who covers the stock for Morningstar, points out that the firm's production capacity, while growing, is still somewhat limited. Tesla's mission to make electric vehicles increasingly more affordable will require more assembly plants, which we think will cost billions a year in capital spending and research and development. Moreover, we think global mass adoption of pure electric vehicles is still years away. It's not a story that may play out until the next decade. Lastly, we see immense key man risk for the stock, as Tesla's fate is closely linked to founder and CEO Elon Musk's actions. Should he leave the company or be banned from running Tesla, we wouldn't be surprised to see the stock decline significantly. Bottom line, investing in Tesla comes with tremendous uncertainties. We think shares are worth $319 a piece and aren't for the faint of heart. That does it for this week's Investing Insights podcast for Morningstar. We hope you have enjoyed our program and we welcome your feedback. Please send your comments and questions to podcast at Morningstar.com. From everyone here at Morningstar, thanks for listening. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. Morningstar Research Services, LLC, is a subsidiary of Morningstar, Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions, or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.